0: Welcome to another episode of No Second Class Citizens. In today's show, we delve into a topic that continues to command our attention, the enduring gender gap in leadership positions here in Australia. Having migrated to this country in 2014, I was surprised to discover that, for example, upon my arrival, only 5% of the 200 largest companies were led by women, Fast forward a decade, and we have made modest progress. The rate now stands at 10%. It's a positive step, though, but there is still much work to be done. And with our special guest today, we'll shed light on the pervasive challenges faced by women, particularly those from diverse backgrounds. We'll unravel the complexities of imposter syndrome, Navigate through biases and stereotypes and uncover the hidden obstacles that continue to impact women's journey to leadership. And joining us today to delve into the challenges many women face in advancing their careers, Up the leadership ladder is Amanda Blessing. Amanda is a mentor, trainer, speaker, and author of two books, the most recent from Invisible to Invincible. And we are going to talk about this book later in the show. Amanda has specialized in coaching and mentoring women to accelerate their careers and personal brands. Described as dynamic and strategic, she helps women crystallize their future goals and create roadmaps for achievement. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda, and many thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. How do you feel?
1: Uh, Thanks, Diana. I am am really excited to be here because I love inspiring women to reach and aim a little higher with confidence. (laughs)
0: Thank you for that, Amanda. And I have to admit that I'm really delighted to have you here today. I have so many questions to ask you, but I'm going to start with a very basic one. What inspired you to become a mentor for women leaders? And how did you initiate a career in coaching female leaders?
1: Really good question. And it was... A really interesting moment. And it was only when I looked back, I knew I was, I knew something was um, I knew I, I wanted to do something more. And I have a background in education, I have a background in training and development, and I knew I was hungry for something more. And at the time I was the CEO of a nonprofit, uh, the Society for Cons- Consumer Affairs Professionals Australia and i i had sort of aspired to be a ceo for some time and i landed the top job and i was like really excited and then after about 6 years i was like okay what's next did i want to be another ceo do i want to be uh move to a larger organization what did i want to do next and it was then that i had an epiphany while I was working as the CEO, and, and to be honest, and when I was looking back at all my roles in the nonprofit, non-profit professional association world, I had noticed a common theme. So I don't know if you know that in the, the professional association world, which is the side of the nonprofits that I come from, many um, we produce educational training programs and we provide opportunities for professionals to really be themselves forward as experts and uh, become more professional so what I noticed was that I would call for papers and 10 men would put their hand up and say pick me and sometimes they'd have just a whisper of an idea and they would then email me this whisper of an idea and say, hey, let's talk about it, let's flesh it out. It certainly wasn't a perfect idea when they said, pick me. Uh, and that, but only one woman. And, uh, and, and typically she maybe was a lawyer or someone who had been told by her boss that she had to volunteer as a speaker at the conference. And then I would call for award nominations year in, year out. And what I noticed was... These amazing women were running around, uh, the the female leaders in the, the organizations were running around nominating their junior staff. And they would spend a lot of effort and time nominating and encouraging junior staff to nominate for awards. And then when it came to submitting their own nomination, writing their own nomination, putting their, throwing their hat in the ring, so to speak, for the award, they were, had either run out of time, run out of energy or maybe that was code for I've got imposter syndrome I'm not really sure I don't want to waste anyone's time least of all my own surely there's someone better out there and what was interesting too was at the same time I could see the men who were submitting their award nominations and they were great candidates don't get me wrong but often maybe they had cut corners got the ask the comms or marketing team to help them write theirs And the women weren't necessarily doing the same sorts of things using those same hacks. I thought that's really interesting. And then finally there was this moment where I would, you know, Tap a woman on the shoulder and say, you've been identified by one of my committees as someone who's doing some really interesting work in this space. You don't have to prepare a paper, but would you come along just share your insights about how you tackle this issue? Uh, There's no paper required. Just talk about your work because there's so many of the members would really love to hear what you do and would benefit from learning from you. And that was when it really got, uh, the, the rubber really hit the road because often this woman would either handball me, handball me to a younger male staff member <laughs> or to a male peer or her male boss would take the opportunity away from her. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, I can see a trend here. And this was my awakening and I just remember this one one year, my last year when I was the CEO of SOCAP and that particular industry is highly feminized, lots of women in senior roles but they weren't the ones putting their hand up saying, mm-hmm. look at what I'm doing, I can help lead this industry, uh, I am, you know, the work that I'm doing, it, it, it's, good, it's good if, I, if it's recognised because then it will inspire others. They weren't doing that work and I was like, oh, my gosh i can do this i've produced magazines i've produced awards i've um, helped women land senior level roles i've i've helped them negotiate i can do this work so that was my aha moment and that's the 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 seed of an idea was planted and about 6 months on i launched my business
0: excellent amanda congratulations on deciding to launch your business and supporting All the women that you are helping. And talking about that, I would like to ask you now, Amanda, about your clients. What type of women seek your services and what specific assistance do they request? And have you identified any common challenges among most of them?
1: Gosh, Okay, I'm going to go to the common challenge and mm-hmm. I have to say it doesn't matter how senior or junior, how, how talented or not, you know, um, it doesn't matter. I think women have a crisis of confidence because at some point, in their journey either at the beginning of their journey with me or they hit a, a, a you know a, a, a road bump at some point there's a crisis of confidence and i think that it's not women's fault and we don't need to fix women's confidence, although I mm-hmm. did produce, I did produce a perfume to do just that. <laughs> <laughs> this really? is uh, this, this perfume. I worked with uh, a master perfumer Samantha Coughlin and we uh-huh. produced this perf- perfume so women can, you know, spray it on just before a job interview or
0: Wow. And, <laughs> and increase the confidence. That's, yeah, that's
1: right. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. Before, love the idea. Be- before <laughs> negotiating a raise, before going into an <laughs> important meeting. You can imagine. Right. Keep it right. keep it in <laughs> your desk <room>. drawer. <laughs> yeah but the, I think this crisis of confidence confidence is mm-hmm. an issue and I don't necessarily think it's um women are born differently I think we are socialized women to have mm-hmm. this uh, mm-hmm. also I think our masculine structures and leadership that hierarchical organization structures and also the media sending negative messages about women how we need to constantly fix ourselves and improve ourselves and Mm -hmm. we're not good looking enough we're not thin Mm -hmm. enough we're we're too thin we're uh, Mm -hmm. you know all those negative messages I think they impact and they impact women's confidence however so that was like all the women that I work with but I work with a really wide range of women I've got some young talented women who are really hungry for more. I've even got one young woman who's uh, you know, writing a book. I've got several women writing books and, uh, I've got more mature women who are in that uh, decade, 50 to 60, 60 plus, who are thinking, okay, what's next? Do I want to launch consultancy? Am I ready to take the world by storm in a different way? I'm a little bit sick of these structures that I have to operate in. Maybe there's another way, a portfolio career uh, or positioning myself as an expert so I can work one-on-one or or as a contractor or a Uh, consultant to corporate and I have all sorts of women in between mainly they come to me to give them confidence to be really strategic about their career and to reach that little bit higher boards awards accolades pay rises promotions and the recognition that women truly deserve So there you go. It doesn't matter what sector either, range of different sectors. It's really interesting, although I would say the main, most of my clients have worked or are currently working in masculine-dominated industries. And let's face it, leadership is a masculine-dominated industry in most sectors. Um, With 80% of leaders as men, no wonder women feel like they don't quite fit the mould.
0: Uh, yep, yeah, absolutely. Agree. Totally agree with you, Amanda. And on your website, you state, you said, this is, I'm gonna read what it says on your website. It says, you have felt it before, right? The hidden biases, perceptions, and stereotypes claiming their stake in your success. You are told to lead like a man, you are called a ball breaker, and you are forced to choose between flexibility and success. In culturally diverse women now, stereotypes, perceptions and biases are even worse. How do you help your your culturally diverse clients overcoming those obstacles?
1: Yes, you raise a really important point. And I'm not sure that Australia is as enlightened sometimes as some other countries around the globe. I think we still have some challenges around cultural diversity, Uh, certainly from the experience that many of my culturally diverse clients tell me. It's like sometimes their experience is not a good one. Um, And perceptions around capability uh, that are linked to cultural stereotypes can be you're not just dealing with gender bias you're dealing with cultural stereotype bias as well which is really challenging and unfair um so one of the challenges that I recently learned uh I I run a retreat every year which is amazing it's a women and women in leadership retreat in Palm Cove Queensland which is absolutely gorgeous so it's a great location in winter so it's lovely and warm and we talk about leadership, we talk about careers and we talk about branding. And uh, a couple of my clients who attended the retreat, uh, culturally diverse clients who attended the retreat, shared openly with the rest of the attendees. They said it's really interesting how uh, throughout, you know, one one woman in particular said it, it throughout my career, I felt I've had to hesitate a little bit. She said sometimes I wondered if I was making the right English language choice mm. in the moment under pressure or in an important yeah. meeting. And she said that constant minor hesitation causes her to second-guess herself and and mm-hmm. and the other woman in the room uh, uh the other woman in the room she was like absolutely that she had the same experience. So I think that that's yet another challenge that many women of um different backgrounds experience when The dominant language is one thing and you're constantly hesitating or second-guessing yourself because you're wondering if you actually made the right language choice. Nine times out of ten you did, but there's just that little voice, did I say Uh the right thing? And you can imagine that that just is like a a lead weight that you've got to carry around that slows you down. So, yes, there's some real challenges for women of cultural diversity as well.
0: Absolutely. And could you share any success story of any cultural diverse women you have helped become a leader? Is there any yes. story like that?
1: Yes. Look, there's, uh, I've got a few success success stories on my website. I, I, a couple of years ago I worked with a copywriter and she went out and interviewed a bunch of my clients and uh, we put their stories on my website because they were so amazing. And they wanted to share their story to inspire others. It wasn't just to get the glory themselves. It was in actual fact they wanted their story up there to inspire other women to show that anyone can do this.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So um, one woman in particular uh, of Indian heritage, and when she came to me, she was just at that point of her career where she was thinking she might need to change jobs and at that cusp of going into, you know, stepping up into that bigger earning sort of organisation and role. And I remember this role came up that was perfect for her and she rang me and was like, I'm not sure whether I should apply. I'm scared. I I don't think I'm going to succeed. And, And we had a good laugh and, of course, I said, you must apply. Let's go for it anyway and let's learn through the process. So there she was. She'd just rung me telling me how much she was worried about applying for this role Um, and then a few weeks later she landed the role. We were working together but at one point a year later I rang her and said, by the way, you know, remember how you hesitated about applying for the role? And we laughed. And she said, it's really interesting. She said, I absolutely hesitated. I wasn't sure I was the right fit. I wasn't sure the company was right for me. And I certainly wasn't sure I was good enough. She said, in my first year, she became the highest achiever Uh, She was, she she became like the, um, she won an award or an acknowledgement within her organisation because she outperformed all the other sales reps in the organisation and so it didn't matter what her cultural background was or her gender, she is just a high achiever despite her doubts. (laughs) Now I've got lots of stories about women Mm -hmm. like that. And Amanda, what do you think she was
0: hesitating the most, like about her gender? or her background, culturally diverse background? What
1: I think do you that's think that's really normal. I'm not going to pick no. either one because yeah. I actually think it's bigger than gender and I think it's bigger than cultural diversity. Remember I talked about society sends women so mm-hmm. many negative messages about how we're not good enough, whether it's our appearance, our weight, our parenting, our femininity, it sends us so many messages and um, the advertising industry has a lot to answer for because advertising and marketing companies you know they sell a lot of product by making us feel less than and so there's thousands of messages that women get every day about not being good enough and I think that that was it it was a bigger role a bigger salary and she was just having a, a normal moment of hesitation Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'll fail. Uh, maybe I shouldn't bother to, to go through the process. I don't want to waste anyone's time, let alone my, my, my own. I'm already busy enough. So I, I think while gender and cultural background may have had some, some input, I do think that you know this second-guessing and underestimating ourselves can get in the way as well.
0: Amanda, and uh, talking about now networking, how crucial do you think is networking for women to become leaders? And if you think this is important, do you have any advice on how to enhance it?
1: Mm, networking is critical. In actual fact, I wrote a book about it, Invisible to Invincible, and um, and that's not just about networking. It's about self-promotion, but of which networking and visibility is an important key component. But um, there is a saying, uh, it's not what you know, it's not even who you know, it's who knows what you know and how that adds value, yeah. okay? So yes. it's not what you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows what you know and how that adds value. And I like that fourth point and Mm -hmm. how it adds value because that's the bit that enables you when you're able to talk about the results you've delivered previously, the outcomes, the, the difference that you've made, when you're able to provide little examples, that helps the people that you meet in your network refer you, put you forward for other opportunities. It makes them feel confident to introduce you to others or think of you when an opportunity arises. Your network is your net worth, as the saying goes. Uh-huh. So you, you need to be really intentional about going out and creating opportunities to network, conduct informational interviews, find out about your new network person and, you know, ha- have a meeting with them, learn about them and let help them learn about you. And it can be a mutually beneficial thing as well. People love to help. So it's not mm-hmm. using people when you nurture your network as well. So that's one of the tactics I teach, nurture your network. Don't just ring them up when you're in desperate need of a job and don't, or don't think, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm tired of this job, now I'm going to hit up all the recruiters I know. It's like nurture your network along the way. The smartest women I know land a job and at the same time they're landing a job, they're priming their network thanking them for the work that they might have happened in helping them land this role, they're priming their network for the next opportunity which might be two years down the track. Already from the start, from the get-go, from landing that that role, they're already priming their network saying thank you so much for your help, Uh, really appreciated it, here's a copy of my CV and by the way um it's I, I anticipate i'm going to be really happy in this role for, two, for for about 2 years and if something should come up at around the 2 year mark i would love to hear wow that's a good advice and <laughs> then never hear about it i'm going to start using it <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's that's a, that's a power <laughs> secret so your listeners i hope yes, they're listening yes. and they really take note yes. of that it is it is a pro tip absolutely yes. it ta- takes a lot of courage And even my clients, I'll tell them this, I send them an email, they land a role and I send them this is the process and I help them Mm -hmm. do it. And then the next time they land a role, they forget. And I'm like, no, you have to do this, you have to do it. Like Mm -hmm. you need to thank people, you need to prime them for your next role because there's nothing worse than you feel a bit used if you are in someone's network and the only time they Mm -hmm. ever reach out to you is when they need something urgently. It's much Mm -hmm. better to have a a long-term relationship with your network.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. Excellent advice, Amanda. Thank you for that. And uh, I would like to, to tell you that on your website, you know your website, of course, you also stated there, and I'm going to read it again, no matter how much diversity your organization preaches, the reality is we are yet to see a level playing field for male and female executives. And to support your words, according to gender statistics for 2022, there were only 14 female CEOs of the ASX 200 companies, and, eight, and nine, 18 sorry female board chairs, with an average of 34 percent of boards being comprised of women. What do you think? Is this uh, this gap persist even? When the benefits of diversity are well established. We, I believe that many people know about this uh, report, McKinsey's 2017, which supports this claim, stating that companies with greater gender diversity have a 21% higher probability of being more profitable. So why we still have this huge gender gap?
1: Diana, I know, you and I are preaching to the converted and probably many of the women listening to this call also, they know, they know. um, uh, But I think that in actual fact, while Mm -hmm. we know there's at least 80% of leadership is men and only some of those men really believe in the benefits of gender Mm -hmm. diversity, many of those men also do not believe that women are doing it tougher than men so they mm-hmm. don't they don't see that the playing field is not level so they don't see that it's unequal and so we've got to over when women we women speak with women and women speak at women's only events the we're not actually preaching or doing things with the people who are all in the power have the power to make a difference so I think that's part of the challenge And until such time, and because of that, I think that it's going to require really uh, strong leadership from people who believe at the top, who are prepared to put systems and mechanisms in place that are going to drive change. It is a broken system. The system is set up that fails Mm -hmm. gender equity, that fails diversity. So we need to put systems in place until we have new habits, new routines, a new normal that supports an equal and a level playing field. So uh, I know that maybe you might want to ask me about quotas, and uh, I never, (laughs) I never. Wanted, I thought I would never be a, a person who would support quotas because I was like, I was going to get the job on my own merits. And that's because I didn't understand that yes. the playing field was not set up to, to support equal numbers of women and men. And that was despite my own story. I remember mm-hmm. um, years ago. Years and years ago, um, uh, I won't tell you too, um, how long, but quite some time ago, <laughs> I was uh, an interview I went to in the fitness industry, uh, it was down to two candidates, a male and female, one was me, and the man was offered $5,000 more than me. It was in an earlier um, part of my career, and the man was offered $5,000 more than me, it was, Interestingly, it was done, we were both in the room, when we, so it was transparent even. They oh, made him well. the offer and me the offer at the same time. Mm. Not only did I have more experience at the time, but when I questioned it, I said, well, how come they're offering Brian, yes. <laughs> I'll protect his name, how come they're offering yeah. Brian more than me? How come you're offering Brian more than me? And And the answer from the boss was, He's a man, he'll need it more than you. <gasps> he needed
0: more than you. That was the yep, yeah.
1: answer. That was the response. Wow. Now, that was some time ago. Like, that was some time ago. I'm not going to mm. dispute that. But I think there are pockets in our society where that is still, uh, that th- those assumptions around who mm-hmm. who supports whom mm-hmm. uh, are still prevalent and it's not just men who believe yeah. this it's women as well because there were two bosses in that room one was a man and one was a woman mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think so the point is and we need mm-hmm. structures we need mm-hmm. laws we need uh, inbuilt systems and mechanism that will help us level the playing field rather than relying on the goodwill and talent of a few, those who've bought the dream. Because when push comes to shove, it's really easy to default to tried and true mechanisms. And we know under pressure, under stress, we make more conservative decisions, more conservative hiring decisions. And so when there's an economic downturn and we're sort of emerging from that right now, people make more conservative decisions, and that includes around hiring uh, diverse workforces. Yeah.
0: So now you support, you are supportive of the gender So
1: now, yes. So I never was and then now I do because I really don't think we're going to move the dial. I mean, we've been talking about gender equity for years and it's really moving the dial in such a minimal way, I think, we're going to be, have to be here for hundreds of years more in order to get real a real-level playing field. So I think we've got to change the structures. Previously we've been relying on um, uh, culture change and goodwill of a few talented people. Now it's, it's well past that. We need it ingrained and embedded in our cultural uh, fabric.
0: Exactly. And we have seen that it works in other parts of the world. There are some good examples, like in Argentina, they have a, this gender quota for the parliament and it is working. But at the same time, I had a conversation with a, with a, one woman who works in the ministry of women there in Argentina. And she said that we also need to be careful that these gender quotas don't become the, the, the roof, right? Like then... They said, for example, a 40% and the 40% and that's it. Nothing above that. So everything needs to be also be be very dynamic and organic and changing, adapting to the, the situation. So, yeah, definitely I am also very supportive of gender quotas. And Amanda, what changes would you like to see in order to increase the number of women in leadership positions in Australia? What do you think Australia needs to change? Like, radically.
1: Mm, I think we need some real proactive measures. I think we need, uh, you know, a carrot and a stick approach. Mm-hmm. I think CEOs of ASX listed, uh, our boards and CEOs of ASX listed need to have gender diversity and cultural diversity front and centre. It's got to be a part of the scorecard. I think executives need to be remunerated according to how, not just their, their performance, but their, according to achieving gender equity targets. And until such time as that happens, I don't think it's going to uh, happen. I, I remember some years ago, ComBank, it's one of the large banks in Australia, Mm -hmm. they had a really low customer rating. They were ranked number four in terms of Australian banks. Um, And it was when their CEO, uh, it really changed when one of their CEOs came in and embedded uh, KPIs with all the executive level that they had to meet a certain criteria in terms of customer satisfaction or they wouldn't get their bonus. And it was only then they had tried <laughs> everything. They couldn't move the dial on customer satisfaction. Yes. But it was only then that senior leaders across the organisation and it, that's, uh, took it seriously and that cascaded down into their teams. Of course, it wasn't just the ELT. It was the next layer down and the next layer down. It was only then that customer satisfaction ratings were really taken seriously. And since then, uh, Combank has been number one Ever since. It truly moved the dial, and I'd love to see the same
0: happen with gender equity. Amanda, um, there is this Argentinian organizational um, psychologist called Tomás Chamorro Premusic. He wrote a book which is called Why Do Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders? Very suggesting title for a book, right? And he discusses the challenge of differentiating confidence from competence. It is more common to find narcissistic men than women who, due to excessive confidence, easily attain leadership but are detrimental for our society. Question for you, Amanda. Do you agree? First, do you agree with this finding? And secondly, based on your experience working with diverse women leaders, do you believe that there is a feminine style of leadership? And if so, what this will be?
1: Hello. I love Thomas's book title. It's so inflammatory. It grabs attention. Yes. And he, I'm not sure if you've seen, but he's also got a TED Talk. And I really love it because it grabs attention. And I think that's the point. He was wanting to grab attention. And there's a lesson in self-promotion there when you're mm-hmm. uh, you know, self-promoting for a cause or a mission. Grab attention any way you can, as long as it's factual. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um but I do think his, um, I, I mean, in actual fact, there's a bunch of research that r- supports what he says, so it's not unfounded and he's not just saying these things to be inflammatory with no basis mm-hmm. in fact. So there is some research to support his findings. But the, the uh, confidence versus competence issue is actually a real issue. Mm-hmm. Our society at large, our society confuses confidence with competence as in if you are you know walking down mm-hmm. the street or you know in a meeting and you say something really confidently other people think oh they must know yeah. something i don't know even yes. if they're thinking oh, yes. i have a different opinion oh gosh yeah, but maybe i'm wrong that, i'm wrong <laughs> Not that that's awesome. right so yes. someone else who, yeah. <laughs> who might start doubting themselves mm-hmm. so con- um, confidence we mistake confidence for competence, and this is a problem with our society, and that's not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, and did you know, though, that there's been um, a bunch of research and two fabulous authors, Caddy Kay and Claire Shipman, actually wrote a book about it, and they wrote about the gender differences in confidence and competence and all that sort of thing, and, and they, they explored the issue really thoroughly, and they found that there's an answer. There is a solution. And I saw that Adam Grant Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn was posting about this solution the other day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was really great, a great reminder. So, the thing that boosts confidence is action. So, hesitating Mm -hmm. doesn't boost your confidence, Mm -hmm. second guessing yourself doesn't boost your confidence. But in actual fact, taking action in the direction that you want to go despite feeling nervous despite your fears despite mm. hesitating despite not feeling confident will in actual fact boost your confidence and that there's a a circle that I like to talk about um so if you think about action boost your conf- uh, boost your clarity Mm-hmm. boosts your certainty, which increases your confidence, which means you take even more action, which boosts your yeah. your <laughs> clarity. So if you think about it, if I was to come up to a T intersection and I'm driving my car and I'm not sure which direction to go, if I was underconfident, I'd just be I like sit there and hesitate and wait. And I still don't know anything new. I'm still sitting there at the T-intersection. I haven't made a decision to, you know, to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But if I come up to the T-intersection and I go, okay, action will help increase my clarity, certainty and confidence. And I go, okay, so I don't know which way to go. I, I know I have to look for number. 300. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn left because I might be able to see some numbers on the side of the road after I have turned left. I'll be able to see more. And once you see more clarity, uh-huh. then you can make another decision that will help you course correct, which makes you feel more certain. And then you get back on the right track. So action boosts clarity, boosts certainty and boosts confidence. It's an amazing um, cycle. Yes.
0: And that example is fantastic. Like, I can yes. see it. And definitely, wow, that was, that's very clear. Absolutely. Thanks for that, Amanda. And additionally, do you think our society needs more
1: women leaders? I believe you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Surely that's a given. Absolutely. I think we got, I remember watching a really interesting documentary on the ABC. I think it was called Misrepresented and Annabelle Crabbe. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it, yes. Yeah, it was a wonderful okay. show. Uh, did you see it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you very it was much. A wo- it was a wonderful show. I really enjoyed it. But I think we're in a bit of a different era. And, and I love mm-hmm. how she did little vignettes and little interviews with lots of different female politicians. Um, and, and it was great to see so many po- female politicians and hear them interviewed. I think that will inspire a new generation of younger female politicians and diverse populations who were interested in leadership in that public policy space. Wonderful. Uh, so that was great. But one of the things I have really noticed was that the more mature female leaders, mm-hmm. there was something they had in common and there were two or three interviews throughout the seri- series that really got my goat but I think represents something I've heard before in business and in corporate as well. And it was when these women said, well, I don't think we should give any extra advantage to women coming through the ranks because I did it tough. So they should have mm-hmm. to do it tough too. It's part of the, it helps build resilience. It helps make them tough. Well, I don't subscribe mm-hmm. to that theory. Yes. Okay. I did it tough. I remember that job interview where I wasn't offered the right, you know, the same amount, but I don't think anyone should have to go through that. And I think that If you have done it tough and then you think, well, I did it tough so young people behind me, they should have to do it tough too, I think we need to rethink that mental construct Mm -hmm. or that mental framework because it might be the very thing that's keeping talented, young, diverse women Mm -hmm. out of leadership roles. And yes, I would love to see more women in leadership roles. And yes, I believe it is absolutely time. There are some amazing examples of wonderful female leaders out there. And I think we just need to hang on to those examples, model those examples, emulate those amazing women, and just get on out there and be great and change the world for the good. Because when women win, everyone wins. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's not just about women for women. It's actually Mm -hmm. about society because we know that when women win, we give back more, we donate, we we are more charitable um, with our money. We support causes that are important to families and communities. We uh, we invest in companies that are more values-oriented and support issues that women in particular care about. And we are, yeah, yeah. And we lead companies, or we start companies, and we create companies that are provide products and services that really support women. So it's it's, and society. So I think it, it's a win win. It's a win win everywhere. I think it's amazing, and I, I just think we really need it's it's. It's 2024 right now while we're recording this, so it's well past the due date. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Let's be clear. Yes, we need more action <laughs> faster.
0: <laughs> Amanda, and we are almost finishing this episode, but before we go, I'd like to ask you about your most recent book that I love the title, From Invisible to Invincible. Could you share with us what the book entails and where can the audience buy this book?
1: Great. So Invisible to Invincible, a self-promotion handbook for (laughs) executive women. Uh Um, And I was inspired to write that because I was working with women around the career, pay rises, promotions and better opportunities. And, and, and what I, I found that these women that I was working with were all, there was one aspect of it that they were really struggling with. And I was like, my gosh, this is the thing that I can really help with, the, this positioning themselves and as an expert, claiming and owning their seat at the table and having a voice at the table, uh, expressing their ideas and articulating their point of view in public, in uh, at ELT, executive leadership team mm-hmm. meetings uh, and in public forums. Th- this was the stuff that I could really help with. So that's why I wrote that book to help my clients go to that next level with a lot more confidence. So in it, I talk about the challenges for women when we start our self-promotion journey, uh, the challenges we experience, not just from men but also from other women, uh, when we step into the limelight, when we take a more visible uh, role in in work and in society. Uh, And then I lay out a roadmap to help. The reader shift from feeling like I'm um, a frustrated, invisible, you know, workhorse to feeling like they are the C- CEO of their own life, career, and destiny. And who doesn't want to feel like they're the boss of their own life, career, and <laughs> destiny? So I lay out a roadmap. I give lots of practical ideas. I tell lots of stories and provide lots of case studies of women who have done it before. It's really motivating. It's incredibly practical. Uh, and it's available on my website. It's available on Amazon and it's even available as an audiobook because last oh, year I decided many women struggle to read, find time to read, particularly uh-huh. if they've got caregiving responsibilities mm-hmm. or dropping children off at, at school and then a long commute. It's really hard to read, but they can listen. You can mm-hmm. listen while you exercise, you can listen exactly. while you're in the car, you can I'll listen do that. while you're yes. on the train, uh, you can listen. So last year I launched the Audible and, and or audio version of the book, so it's that's there as well. And is it your voice as well? Is yes, it you really? I, I narrated it. Yeah. yeah, and it yeah. was really fun. I have to say, I, yeah. I was like, "Oh, I don't like the sound of my own voice." Oh my gosh, i got oh, such an—it's beautiful. I love it. I, yeah, I've got such an Australian accent, but I'm the same. I'm the same as all uh-huh. many women. I'm the same. I have self-doubt. I hesitate, mm-hmm. but I worked with a wonderful female um, uh, audio technician and she really gave me lots of confidence and courage to to step out of my own way and to read the book and to launch the book so it's available now globally for women who are serious about their career and know that self-promotion and visibility might be a a tool that they can really use to springboard into something better
0: perfect perfect Thank you so much for writing that book and for recording your voice as well for us to listen to the book. Um, Amanda, it has been a pleasure, real pleasure to have you here today and speak with you today. Thank you so much for, for all your insights, all your feedback and ideas, suggestions that you have gave us today. I wish you all the best in everything you do and hopefully we speak soon again.
1: Thank you, Diana. It's been an absolute pleasure. Your questions were really insightful and I really enjoyed our interview together. And I hope that your listeners take a lot out of this and it helps them in their careers as well.
0: I'm sure they will. Thank you, Amanda. And to the audience, don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment if you want. Bye for now.